right, well, go ahead and grab your Bibles and turn to James chapter 2. We're going to keep walking through this book together. And let me just do as I've done each Sunday and remind you the message of this book, the overall message of the book of James is this. It is that genuine faith results <coughs> in action, meaning that if a person really has put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, they've been saved, they've been forgiven of their sins, made right with God, that that there will be evidence of that. It will result in actions in their life. They'll um, seek to obey God. Their life will be changed. Last week, we saw James illustrate this through the life of Abraham. And he reminded us how Abraham, in Genesis 15, trusted in, in God's promises, believed God's promises, and was counted as righteous. And then as a result of that, in Genesis 22, which happened to be 30 years later, we see Abraham obeying God, even willing to make great sacrifices to obey him. Because he was saved by grace through faith, he was willing to obey God, even when it meant sacrifice. And today, in the, just the two verses we're looking at this morning, James gives us another example, and that's the example of Rahab. So look with me in James chapter 2. We're going to read verses 25 and 26, and they say this. Rahab the prostitute is another example. She was shown to be right with God by her actions when she hid those messengers and sent them safely away by a different road. Just as the body is dead without breath, so also faith is dead without good works. So here at the end of chapter 2, James has just used the example of Abraham as someone who's saved by grace through faith and as a result it, it leads them to seek to obey God even when it means sacrifice. And and then in this last couple of verses, he um, uses the example of Rahab from Joshua chapter 2. Now, I know a lot of you are probably familiar with this story, but let me kind of refresh your memory. And then there may be some people here that are not as familiar with this story. So what he's referring to is, is back in the Old Testament. If you remember in the book of Exodus, God's people, the Israelites, were in slavery in Egypt. And God raised up Moses and had Moses go to Pharaoh and say, let my people go so they can go and worship me. And, and you remember the story, Pharaoh resisted to the point that God sent 10 different plagues till finally um, Pharaoh let the Israelites go. But then they pursued them and chased them. Remember this, this is when God parted the Red Sea and the Israelites went through on dry ground and the Egyptians were drowned behind them. And, and God had promised the Israelites, he'd actually way before then, back with Abraham, he had promised them a land they could go and, and live and worship him. And so that's where he's leading them. He's leading them out of Egypt to the promised land, the land that he had promised them. But they disobeyed him, and they ended up wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. But at the end of those 40 years, after Moses died and Joshua was raised up as a new leader, now it's time for them to cross the Jordan River and to take the land that God has promised them. But in that land, there was a major fortified city called Jericho. And before they crossed the Jordan and began to, to invade this land, um, Joshua sends two spies to kind of scout out the city of Jericho. And they, they go into Jericho, and um, they stay in the house of a lady named Rahab, a prostitute, somewhat of an innkeeper also, which is probably why they stayed there. But she was a, a known prostitute. And when the king of Jericho found out that there were some spies there, he, he sent men to try and track them down and kill them. They came to Rahab's house, her inn, and said, hey, are, are there men here from outside the city? And she, says, she said, well, there were some men here, um, but I didn't know they were spies. And they left and basically said they went that way. <laughs> they, they went back out. And so the king's men went out looking for them. And in fact, she had actually hidden them on her roof. And so after the, 
the king's men left looking for the spies, she goes up on the roof. And in Joshua chapter 2, let me just read you a few verses here, beginning in verse 8. Before the spies went to sleep that night, Rahab went up on the roof to talk with them. I know the Lord has given you this land, she told them. We are all afraid of you. Everyone in the land is living in terror. For we have heard how the Lord made a dry path for you through the Red Sea when you left Egypt. And we know what you did to Sihon and Og, the two Amorite kings east of the Jordan River, whose people you completely destroyed. No wonder our hearts have melted in fear. No one has the courage to fight after hearing such things. For the, and listen to what she says here in verse 11. For the Lord your God is the supreme God of the heavens above and the earth below. So she tells them, listen, we've heard about the great things your God has done, and we know that God has given you this land. And so she even makes a statement of, of faith herself that, that, again, for the Lord your God is the supreme God of the heavens above and the earth below. And so she helps them escape. Um, she, her house was actually built into the wall of the city, so her outer window opened up to outside the city, and she lowered them down by a big scarlet rope, and they escaped that way. But before they left, she asked them, said, when you, when you guys come and conquer this city, would you spare me and spare my family? And they said, yes, we will. Everyone in your home will be spared. So have all your family come and be in this house. And the sign that we will know, we will tell all of our soldiers, the sign to, to, to spare you will be this scarlet rope hanging out your window. And so her and her family, they were spared. And that, that scarlet rope um, it's kind of an Old Testament symbol pointing to Jesus. Just as they were, they were saved <laughs> from, um, because of that scarlet rope, you and I are now saved not because of a scarlet rope, but because of the scarlet blood of Jesus. But that's another sermon. <laughs> that's pointing ahead to Jesus and the New Testament. So she helps these men escape, and, and she asks to, um, um, to be spared, and, they, and, and she is. But what she did was really risky. And so what what. James is pointing out in James chapter 2 is that both Ahab, Ahab, both Abraham and Rahab are examples, again, of someone who trusted in God, were, were made righteous by faith, and then as a result acted. Abraham being willing to sacrifice his son, which ultimately he didn't have to do, but he was willing to, to obey God. And Rahab here risking her life and really the life of her family to, to obey this, this new God or this God that she had just been discovered and, and believed in. And so I want you to, I want us to think for just a minute about how Rahab was saved by faith and how that resulted in obedience. <clears throat> and so look with me in, in your notes there, Rahab's salvation. Let's talk about this just for a minute. First of all, we see that she received grace. Right now, some scholars believe, this is kind of interesting, some scholars believe that actually the whole city of Jericho, all of those people were offered grace. And they say that the, the way we know this or the reason they think this is because, if you remember in that story in Joshua, um, God had the Israelites march around the city for seven days. And in those seven days, some scholars believe that was actually an opportunity for them to surrender and make peace with God's people and become Israelites, believe in God. But, but they refused <clears throat> and they did not surrender. Only Rahab and her family believed. But we see that she received grace, the same grace that Abraham received, the same grace that you and I receive when we believe in God. But think about the contrast between Abraham, who James had just mentioned, and now Rahab, the example he's using now. Let me just mention a few things here. Think about this. Abraham 
was the patriarch of the Jewish people. Rahab was a prostitute from a foreign nation. Think about that contrast. Abraham was called the friend of God. Rahab was living in the middle of the enemy of God. Abraham was a great leader. Rahab was a common citizen. Abraham was at the top of the social order, and Rahab was at the bottom of the social order. Yet they both received the same grace. Both were saved and made right with God. You know, this is the story of the Bible, God redeeming and saving sinners from every race, every tribe, every nation, every walk of life. That's what God does. And Rahab was not just spared death. Think about this. She was actually adopted into God's family. She became an Israelite. And, and not just she wasn't just forgotten about this. She actually became an important ancestor of both King David and Jesus. And we know this from Matthew chapter 1, verses 5 and 6. Let me read these, these verses to you real quick. It says, Solomon, was, this, is the, this is the genealogy that often we kind of skip over. You ever do that when you're reading the Bible? You're like, oh, here's a bunch of names. I'll skip over them. I, I sometimes do that too. You can't pronounce half of them. But there's some important stuff in there, right? And listen to Matthew 1, verses 5 and 6 as it gives the genealogy of Jesus. It says, Solomon was the father of Boaz. That name may sound familiar to you. He was, um, who, it says, whose mother was Rahab. So Rahab was the mother of Boaz. Boaz was the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed was the father of Jesse. Jesse was the father of King David. So in other words, Rahab is the mother of Boaz from the book of Ruth. He was the father of Obed, who was the father of Jesse, who was the father of David. If you want me to just kind of simplify it for you, what it means is Rahab was the great-great-grandmother of King David. Think about that, which puts her in the direct line of Jesus. So God takes this, this foreigner, prostitute, right, a city that's about to be taken over and judged because of all the sin and the horrible things they're doing in it, and by grace, through her faith, she is saved out of that. She's made an Israelite. She's adopted into God's family. And not just to kind of live over in the fringes, like, hey, you ought to be glad you're here. Now just keep your mouth shut. <laughs> no, she becomes a part of the Israelite family, a part of God's family to the point that her descendants are David and even Jesus. Isn't that incredible? Isn't that amazing how, how God's grace works? I mean, this is the story of the Bible. This is the story of God's amazing grace. I mean, only God could redeem a prostitute, right, from an enemy nation and rise up from her descendants, the Savior of the world. It's amazing grace. So she, she received grace. And then the next point I want you to see here is she revered God, meaning she believed in him. She trusted in him. She was in awe of him. I'm going back to Joshua 2.11 here where she made this statement of faith to those two spies, she said, For the Lord your God is the supreme God of the heavens above and the earth below. So God had revealed himself to her, and she had believed in that God and trusted in him. And because of that, we see the next point, because of her faith, because she was saved by grace through faith, then she risked for God's kingdom. James 2.25 again, it says, Rahab the prostitute is another example. She was shown to be right with God by her actions when she hid those messengers and sent them safely away by a different road. Because she believed in God, she obeyed God and she, to the point of even risking her life for the kingdom of God. So James uses Rahab as to drive home his point that's, that's 
the truth of the entire book. And then he restates it in, J- in James 2.26, which we read earlier. Just as the body is dead without breath, so also is faith is dead without good works. He's saying, listen, if you say that you have faith in God, if you have, if you have faith in Jesus, it will result in actions. Being willing to sacrifice, being willing to risk, seeking to obey God. So that's Rahab's salvation. That's her salvation story. Now let's, let's talk about that in light of the New Testament and our salvation story. In the Old Testament, they were looking ahead and trusting God's promises. You and I have a better picture of this because now Jesus has already come. They were looking ahead to the Messiah. We've already seen him come and, and live and die and rise from the dead. And so we see many of God's promises more fully than they could see them. Um, and so we see everything in the light of the gospel in the New Testament in Jesus. So let's talk about our salvation. We've talked about Rahab's. Now let's talk about ours. So our salvation is this. Christ is the basis of our salvation. Right? Rahab believed in God, Joshua 2.11. Right? And, and she was shown to be right with God by her actions, as James says in 2.25. And she did not earn this relationship with God. It was by grace through faith. It was a gift from our gracious God. And the same is true for our salvation. Right? Just like Rahab, think about this, just like Rahab, we were once enemies of God. Did you know that? A lot of, most of us, we kind of are raised to think, well, you know, I'm just a pretty good person and with just a little help I can get to heaven, right? It's like, I'm, I'm not a bad person. I haven't killed anybody. You know, I'm, I'm nice. And if I, Jesus just gives me a little boost, I can make it up to heaven. We got to understand what scripture tells us, that just like Rahab, an enemy living with enemies of the Lord, you and I were at one time enemies of God. And you may say, well, I, I never knew I was an enemy of God. Listen, every time we sinned, we were committing cosmic treason toward God. We weren't just making a mistake. We weren't just kind of, oh, we messed up a little bit. No, the God who created us, this, this God of the universe, we were rebelling against him and his truth and his word and what he has told us to do. So all of us were once enemies of God, just like Rahab. But all of us that have trusted in Jesus have been saved by grace through faith in Jesus. And it's a free gift. It's, it's because of what he has done, not because anything we can do. Colossians chapter 1 Verses 21 and 22 put it this way. Listen closely to this, these beautiful words, this, these beautiful s- scriptures. Colossians 1, 21 and 22 says, You were God's enemy, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence, and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. All of us were once enemies of God because we had rebelled against him, sinned against him. But because of Jesus, because of what Jesus did, because he lived the perfect life, when we trust in him, we are now made right with God. Where it's like being taken back to the Garden of Eden before anybody sinned. We're in that right relationship with God we are created to have. We're no longer sinful in his sight, but now when he looks at us, he sees Christ's righteousness, his perfect life that he lived. So we are saved and made right with God through Jesus. He paid the price. He did everything necessary. Uh, let me tell you a quick story. I, I know I told this years ago on the edge, so some of y'all might be familiar with it, but when we lived in Texas, when we were in seminary, and um, we served at a little church, First Baptist Ponder, Texas, great church, still is a great church, 
And uh, one of our youth teachers there, I was a youth minister, one of our youth teachers there, a guy named Hank, um, had season tickets to the Texas Ranger games. And so, um, you know, that's a lot of home games. If you have season tickets, that's like 80 home games. And he, he couldn't go to them all. And, um, and, and Hank was pretty well off. You would have never known. He was so down to earth. But he owned his own architectural firm. He was pretty well off. And so he had really, really good seats. And so often he would offer those to us, and we would get to go sit in these seats really close to third base, great seats. Um, and, and not only that, he gave us his parking pass. I didn't even know there was such a thing before. He gave us this. It's like this VIP parking pass where you don't have to walk very far. And this is the part some of y'all will maybe be familiar with. But one, one time my dad and stepmom came down. This was before we had kids or anything. They came down to Texas, and we had four tickets from Hank, and we were going to go to this game. And... Um, we got ready to go, and we went out to get in Amy's car, and there was something wrong with the tire. It was like had a bubble on it. We're like, that's probably not safe to be driving through Dallas. And my truck wasn't big enough for us to fit in, and so we had to take my dad's car. Now, my dad always made a good living, but you'd never know it by his cars. Right? My dad was like kind of a shade tree mechanic, and he always had, he had four or five clunkers. Like, he'd just go out and in his driveway, and if he started, tried to start one didn't start, he'd just go to the second one. This one of them would eventually start, right? And these were not nice-looking cars. That's what I'm trying to say. And so we're like, okay, well, we're going to take Dad's car. And it started up, and we drive down to the ballpark in Arlington. And, and I have this parking pass that Hank gave us, and I hang it up in the mirror like he told me to. I hung it on the mirror. And as we're driving in, these people directing traffic keep seeing that on our mirror. And they're, you go this way. Everybody else is going this way, but you go this way. You go this way. And we start getting filtered down. And all of a sudden, I look around, and it's like Mercedes, Porsche, Ferrari, and this clunker that, that I'm driving because my dad didn't want to drive through Dallas traffic. And I like to think of myself as pretty down to earth and not worried about appearances and stuff. But I think my face was pretty red. I was like, I'm next to a Ferrari. And I'm driving like a $5 car here that's spewing fumes and everything else. And, <clears throat> and uh, finally, we get, we get parked in our spot and we get out and get away from the car as fast as I can. I'm like, who, who parked that there? You know, and <clears throat> go walking in. But man, we had these, <laughs> we had these great seats right, in this great parking spot that we could have never afforded. I still couldn't afford it, but I sure couldn't afford it when I was a seminary student, right? But Hank paid for it all and just gave it to us. Just a little glimpse of our salvation that we, we get to be in the presence of God. We get to spend eternity in heaven. We're right now, because of Christ, we're blameless in his sight. All things we could never earn. You can work and do good deeds from, from now for the rest of your life. You could never earn that. But he paid for it with his blood on the cross, with his sacrifice. We are made right with God as a free gift, just like Rahab was. Now, how do we receive this gift? Well, that's the next point here is that faith is the means of our salvation. So Christ is the basis of our salvation. We are right with God because of what he's done. He paid it all. Faith is the means of our salvation, right? Rahab was saved by grace through faith, and we are saved in the same way. Let me read to you Romans chapter 5, verse 1. It says, therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God, right? We were once enemies with God, but now we're at peace with God because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done for us. Let me Read that to you one more time. Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done for us. We were his enemies, but we've been made right with him. We're at peace with him through Jesus Christ by trusting in Jesus. 
Now, I just want to remind you what James said just in a few verses before this. If you remember, he, he said that, that faith is not just intellectual agreement. It's not just saying, yes, I agree with you that Jesus is the Messiah. It's actually trusting in him for salvation. Faith is not just belief. It is trust. And so the question this morning for all of us is, have we really trusted in Jesus for our salvation to make us right with God? And now just another quick story to try to illustrate this point. I had a friend I grew up with all the way grade school, high school, we went to college together. And in all our days growing up, I was a little bit more the daredevil. I mean, he was, he, he, he was pretty, usually played it safe and stuff. But we'd come, he'd come over to my house and I'd take him for dirt bike rides and stuff. And he's, he thought that was crazy, you know, compared to his his growing up, he lived a pretty tame life. For some reason in college, he decided he wanted to go skydiving. Right? That's something I had no interest in doing. And, and so it's funny that I usually did the more risky things, and I'm like, I'll, you can go do that by yourself. I'm not jumping out of a perfectly good airplane. I'm just not going to do it. But, but he decided to go do this, and he came back. It was like, he was, I don't know, he was 18 or 19 years old. He came back to me, and I asked how it went. He's like, you know, I went to the little training, and and you learn everything to do, and he's like, I felt good about it. I'm like, I know what to do. You just jump out of this plane, the parachute opens, and, you know, you're good to go. And he said, but something happened. He's like, I got in that plane, and if I remember right, the way he told it, I don't know if this is correct, but what I remember him telling me was that he grabbed onto some kind of handles or something, and maybe on the wing or something, and kind of tried to swing out. But basically what I do know for sure is he was holding onto part of the plane, and they told him, like, on the count of three, you let go. And they're like, one, two, three. And he's just like, my hands just would not let go. He's like, I was telling them to let go, and they wouldn't let go. He's like, I, I was so confident going up there, no problem, just jump out of a plane, parachute opens. But when I got up there, I started having doubts, like, what if the parachute doesn't open? What if this doesn't work, right? So he went up there thinking he trusted that parachute. In reality, he really didn't. He's, the way he put it, he said, they had to beat me off that plane. So he said, finally, I let go. Right, and I lived it to, to, you know, tell about it. But he went up there believing he trusted in that parachute, and the reality was um, he really did not trust it like he thought he did. The question is, today, have you really trusted in Jesus? Have you let go of all of your efforts to save yourself, all your good deeds, trying to say, well, I'm good enough to go to heaven, and say, you know, I'm a filthy sinner, and I don't deserve heaven. I don't deserve to be made right with God, but because of what Jesus has has done, I'm going to trust in him and his life, death, and resurrection. Have you trusted in him? Oh, uh, just a week or two ago, I, I used the, the illustration of having a, a, a stool up here that I sit on. I said, you can believe, right, that that will support you, but you're not trusting it till you actually sit on it. Have you put your life and your soul in Jesus' hands and trusted in him for salvation? So, so Christ is the basis of our salvation. Faith is the means of our salvation. And the, the third point is this. Works are the evidence of our salvation. That's what James has been saying through this whole book, that works are the evidence of our salvation. He, again, he uses Rahab to drive this point home. Let me read verse 25 one more time. Rahab the prostitute is another example. She was shown to be right with God by her actions when she hid those messengers and sent them safely away by a different road. She was made right with God by grace through faith, and as a result, she was willing to risk her life for God's kingdom. What about you? Have you trusted in Jesus for salvation? And if you have, are you willing to risk for God and for his kingdom? I want to tell you just 
a brief story. Um, some of you will be familiar with this. There's a guy named Jim Elliott, his wife Elizabeth Elliott. They're well known um, by many Christians because they display this willingness to sacrifice, this willingness to risk for the kingdom. Jim was born in Portland, Oregon back in the mid-20th century or early 20th century and, um, and uh, was raised in a Christian family and just had this, this burden and this passion to be a missionary. And he married a, a lady named Elizabeth, Elizabeth Elliott, became his wife, and they teamed up with other missionaries to go to South America to, bring, to take the gospel um, to some tribes that had never heard about Jesus. Um, there was some concern with this because these tribes were known to be violent. It was kind of a warrior culture, but they, uh, Jim and some of the other missionaries, um, spent some time flying an airplane above these tribes and signaling to them and stuff and even sending down gifts. And they, they finally thought it was safe to, to go down and to share Jesus with this tribe. And on January 8, 1956, they landed their plane on a riverbed. And these missionaries and their pilot got out ready to share Christ with these people, knowing that it was risky. And all of them were murdered by those tribesmen on that day. Now, a lot of people would look at that, I mean, non-Christian people, and say, man, what a, what a waste. This guy's going down there to try and tell these people about his religion, and he leaves behind a wife. They've not been married very long, a young child without a father. All these men dead, and what did it accomplish? Well, that's not the end of the story. His wife, the other missionaries, they continued to witness to this tribe, ultimately did lead them to Jesus, and that has had results and borne fruit in incredible ways, even beyond what we know, I'm sure. But I do want to give you just a little glimpse. I'm going to ask Jason Turner to come up here just for a minute because he has kind of a personal connection to this story. And... Um, I want him to just tell you a little bit more. This is just one example of the fruit that has come from um, these missionaries. I'm sure there's, there's way more than this, but this gives you just kind of a glimpse of that. Now, don't hit me with that. If you can't tell, it's pretty sharp. Those missionaries were martyred. It's called uh, Palm Beach. This is one of the spears used in that murder and so this if you want to see it I mean this is this is it and so the the ripple effect or the our family was touched in this back in 2012 Leanne had uh, was asked by a friend to accompany them to Uganda got my Uganda shirt on today uh, and you know Leanne was like wow we've never done a mission trip you know as we pray for greg this morning never been overseas on a mission trip uh so after prayer we decided you know what we better all go together on this first one and so anyway we went over there and wow we were stirred big time just uh you know as you find out when you go on these trips uh you end up being blessed more than the, the ones that you go to serve but through that uh we then said you know what we're just going to stake our claim in Uganda and stay uh, and, and see how we can help and serve. So the next year at a business leaders conference, I was introduced to a, a guy who had uh, also connections in Uganda, and he introduced me to a gentleman named Bob Kiefer, and several of you met Bob a few weeks ago uh, at our home, but Bob's close to 90 years old now, and still uh, just an amazing story of faithfulness 
uh, right until this very day. But Bob, uh, back in the, uh, you know, about 20 years after this incident, uh, he was asked to go to Ecuador and to uh, go down there. And one of the ladies that stayed with Elizabeth was named Rachel Saint. She was the sister of Nate. Nate is the one, the pilot, who had patented the technique that Jeff talked about dropping gifts. They would drop down a bucket and fly in tight circles, and they were able to communicate back and forth with people on the, on the ground. And so Rachel, many years later, I learned, or many years earlier, I'd learned this through reading her biography. She was 18 years old and asked by a lady uh, to be her uh, companion, an elderly lady, and to take over her fortune when she w died and Rachel had a vision praying that night of a dark-skinned people in a jungle, and she sensed that God was telling her to say no to this offer of becoming a millionaire when she grew up very poor, and she never knew until many years later it was these Waruni Indians that she was being called to, and as Jeff said, they were savages. Aka Indian is one of the uh, terms they were known by, and that word Aka means savage. They would spear, they would spear each other just for anything. You looked at them wrong, they'd spear each other, they'd kill each other. They were savages. So after that happened, Elizabeth, her little daughter, and Rachel, they went back in there, and because they were females, they were not seen as a threat, and they stayed in there and lived with them for nine years. And through that, they were transformed. Fast forward 20 years later, Bob Kiesler uh, is asked to go down there because Rachel is ill and she needs to come out. And they go down there, but they say, hey, first let's go to Palm Beach and see this. And they had a little monument they wanted to put there. So there Bob is. He's never been overseas. In fact, he was quite angry at God because of some things that had happened years before. But he went begrudgingly. But then he finds himself in dugout canoes taking the four-hour trip down the river to the beach, standing on the beach, and Rachel says, I think we should pray. And as they're praying, this is really good. And would you hear him saying, it's just so powerful. Because at that moment, he had a killer on one hand, killer on the other hand, former killer. But because of the gospel, the gospel, and because... Those ladies were willing to risk it. These former killers now were transformed to Christians just like us. So Bob, as that prayer through, just has a, you know, an open reality of God saying, Bob, you know, if I can change these guys, I can change you too. And so Bob, for the last 40 years, has been on mission all around the world, including Uganda, uh, redeploying the resources that God's given him, Christian seminaries, orphanages, uh, uh, largest evangelistic seminary in Uganda. They helped found Amman, Jordan. They founded the largest one there, the largest women and children's uh, medical clinic in the Congo. They put in place all the work they did there in Ecuador and other places. So the point is we ended up going back in 2019 on our first project working with Bob and to commission and to dedicate a church gateway cathedral our daughter went on that trip and there was another young man that went with us on that trip and uh, one night we're noticing these two are talking a lot well guess what uh, June 15th they've now been married uh, three years so we got a son-in-law out of 
this whole thing. And we continue now, next generation, we're working now. In fact, my cousin is on his way to Uganda this morning, uh, and in three weeks, he'll be, they're doing pastor equipping. They'll be at another location where a church is going up right now, and uh, they're going to get to see the fruit of that. So I wanted to read you one uh, text that, that Bob, again, this is 90-year-old Bob, still, still excited for the things of the Lord. He said, I started helping out the missionaries start churches in places like Ecuador, Peru, Brazil, South Africa, Kenya, Congo, the list a few. Then we started helping to start seminaries to train pastors that led into helping us set up programs to help abandoned children and widows. You know, I could go on as I think about it all, uh, but it started by just saying yes to an invitation a guy named Claude gave him, and that was that Ecuador trip. He said, that's what I think God is looking for in each of us, and then he will point the way. Just get ready for an unbelievable trip with a bunch of exclamation points. So, Jeff, back to you. I'll let you take that. I just want you to just hear one story of how young missionaries went to Ecuador. If you know Jim Elliott's story, he had opportunities to do a lot of things here in the States that would have been considered successful by the world standards. Rachel could have been a millionaire, right? They, they gave all that up. They went to, to Ecuador to risk for the kingdom. And initially, man, if you were there on that day in, in 1956, January 8th, it, man, it had been easy to look around and say, man, what, why'd we do this? Is it worth the risk? But yet, those tribes people ended up being led to Christ. And if if you just understood what Jason was just saying, among the many things, the much fruit that's been born from that, this 90-year-old man went down there, it was 40, 50 years ago, and I've, if you hear the whole story, it's really cool. I mean, he, he was basically drugged by a, church, a fellow church member to go down there to help get Rachel out because she was sick, and he ends up praying with these people and realizing these are the people who murdered the missionaries. Now they're praying with him. They're believers, and they, there's been a whole movie made about this called End of the Spear. Some of you may have seen it. Um, but incredible to think about the fruit. Just, just if you trace through Bob's life, right, just, just one little branch of the fruit that's come from their willingness to risk right, for the kingdom. Rahab was willing to risk for the kingdom. We're called to do the same thing. That looks different for different people, but all of us are called to risk. You know, Jim Elliott, is maybe, uh, maybe one of his most famous quotes is this. And it really relates to what we just talked about. He says, listen to what he says. He wrote this in his journal a few years before he was killed. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. You know, he said, I'm not a fool for giving up all this stuff that I can't keep anyway. If, I, if I'm going to gain eternal rewards, if people are going to be in heaven because of what I've given, if, because I've trusted in Jesus, I'm going to be in heaven. I give up this worldly stuff that I'm going to lose anyway. But I'm going to gain eternal treasures that, that can't be taken from me. For those reasons, he was willing to risk. Again, Rahab was willing to risk. You know, much of what passes for Christianity today in America doesn't say, oh, go serve and worship God and risk for him. No, it says use God to try and make your life safe. But what we see in Scripture, what we see throughout the New Testament in the early church, is not people hiding trying to be safe, right? They're risking for the kingdom. God calls us, first of all, to trust in Jesus, 
for our salvation, not trusting in ourselves, our own good deeds, trusting in Jesus for our salvation. And once we've done that, we're called to live for him, willing to sacrifice like Abraham, willing to, to risk like Rahab. Have you trusted in Jesus for your salvation? I'm confident in a group this size, there are probably several, if not many, people who, if they're honest, have really been trusting and just, oh, I'm, I'm an American, I live in the Bible Belt, I'm a good person, and they've not really said, man, I'm a sinner who cannot save myself, and I'm going to trust in Jesus. If you have any doubt about your salvation, if you have any questions, if you just want to know more about what it means to trust in Jesus for your salvation, please stay after service today. We're going to get out early. There's plenty of time. Stay and talk with me or with Jason, with Amy, with one of our leaders down here. We would love to talk with you. But for those of you who are already believers, is God calling you to get out of your comfort zone for his kingdom? It doesn't always mean going overseas and risking your life. Sometimes it means going across a courtyard and risking some discomfort in the nursery, right? Serving some way in church. Sometimes it means building a friendship with a non-Christian and having them over supper and sharing life with them to share the gospel. It can look like a lot of different things. But God, although he does give us great joy and comfort and peace, he doesn't call us to a life of comfortable circumstances. We get comfort from him, but he doesn't call us to a life of comfortable circumstances. He calls us to risk and sacrifice. He's calling you to do something you've been afraid to do, you've been putting off. Will you be willing to risk like Rahab, like Jim and Elizabeth Elliot, like Jason's friend Bob? <laughs> We're called to risk, not just retreat and hide, be safe, but risk for God's kingdom.